Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. You're listening to highlights from the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. To hear the full show, download the podcast from iTunes or see 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. Yeah, the fun starts Monday with the 10K toy giveaway. Give me more details uh, throughout the morning. A lot to do this Friday the 13th. I know I mentioned it just to get it out of the way this Friday the 13th an awful lot to do in fact like catching up with the star of the ad that just gets you right in the feels Is he still coming this year? Of course he is Really Dad? He's coming He's coming up too in a little while and also the star of or one of the stars of the biggest series Netflix has ever done. Do you think you'd have liked to be a member of the royal family? No, 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 absolutely not. What a nightmare. That's coming up a little bit later on this morning. But first of all, the number to call, 1850-715-996, of course, the text to WhatsApp, 083-396-9696. My first guest this morning wrote an article for the Irish Times a couple of weeks ago when she was in a hotel room uh, quarantining waiting to go home to her own home in Australia. And she painted a, an interesting picture of what it was like to be there for two weeks, waiting to go home to normality. Good morning, or good evening, rather, Sonia O'Sullivan. Good evening, PJ. Um, we're, we're nearly finished Friday the 13th here, and it's, it's not been too bad. Good, good, good. <laughs> no incident. <laughs> Good. There might be a, a tiny delay on this line, but we'll do the best we can. You wrote that article when you were a couple of days into quarantine. Now, I suppose people should remember you are an Australian citizen. You live there for most of the year now. And yet you had to do the two weeks on your way home. Take me through it. Um, yeah, well, everybody who flies into Australia has to go straight to hotel quarantine. You have no option at this stage. And um, yeah, I mean, I suppose in a way you kind of, you get yourself bit psyched up for it so you're prepared and uh, you bring as much stuff as you can that you think will keep you entertained or keep you I suppose content for two weeks and um, yeah but it's still it's um, it is a bit daunting I suppose when you get you know you get off the plane as normal and you pick up your bags and but then instead of walking out of the hotel terminal, you have to go to an area in the the Queensland, so it was in the state of Queensland, was where I landed in Brisbane. Um, the police were there, and you had to pretty much sign in with them. You gave them your passport, and um, yeah, they gave you the hotel that you were assigned to, and then you just waited, and you were taken by bus with your bags to the hotel, and that was, you know, that was it. <laughs> and a hotel where you didn't have your own key for your own room. 
That's right. And you actually didn't know which hotel you were going to be assigned to either. I was, in some ways, I, I was quite lucky. Um, I had a town or a hotel that was close to the city and my sister, Gillian, she just lived about two kilometres away. So that was quite nice to have her close by. Um, she was able to drop me off some little snacks and treats and, you know, anything I needed. Um, and then when we, we could go for an exercise break, um, we didn't know when you first got in how this was going to work. It was quite late at night when we arrived. Um, so when I got up, yeah, they, so you, in your room, they close the door and that's it. And you realize that, you know, the only way to leave is to call up and ask permission to leave. So um, because after you've flown all that distance, there's a bit of um, jet lag and whatnot. So I was awake very early in the morning. And as soon as I woke up, I thought, I'll put my name on the list to go outside and see how that works. And um, so you call up and then about an hour later, you don't know when, like I said to them, you know, so will they come and knock on the door in five minutes or in an hour? And they said, oh, well, they'll come when they're ready. Um, <laughs> so then you get the knock on the door and there's two police. It could be a man or a woman or a boat um, outside the door. And they take you to the lift. Um, you have to wear your face mask going down there. And... Um, yeah, then they drop you down to the yard and then they realised that it was my first day because I didn't know where to go or what to do. Mm. And they said, they said, oh, the whole area is for walking around. I said, oh, it's grand. But it was quite a small area. It was, you know, it would take you about a minute to walk around it. Mm. Um, so when you get down the first, you're kind of thinking, this is going to be, you know, a long time doing anything out here. Um, but, you know, after a few days, you get used to it and you create yourself a little routine. Like I used to walk laps and there'd be other people out there and you'd spend your time avoiding other people so you didn't crash into each other and uh, changing direction. And then you might stop after half an hour and do a little bit of circuit training then go walk for another half hour. Mm. And then occasionally I attempted a little bit of running, but it wasn't very, I didn't really enjoy it. So I just kind of kept moving around and I just kept walking yeah. Until they stopped. Well, they, they didn't. I was waiting for them to stop me, and they didn't. So, so yeah. they, you kind of thought, oh, this would be a fifteen or twenty minute thing, and um, so yeah, no, you could re- you could pretty much stay out there for as long as you wanted to. Yeah. And um, it was a, you could look over the wall, then you could see down onto the street. So I called up my sister, and when she was out for her morning walk, she came walking past, and you get to wave down and to her on the phone from, from outside the hotel. Yeah, so that was course, as close as you could get to You, you were in Brisbane. Wasn't in there. You yes. were, and, but you live in Melbourne, so you still had another another leg to the journey to get home. You must have been miss, missing the family and you're right in the times, the dogs, desperately at that stage. You haven't seen them since when? July? Um, since July, yes. I was away for about four months. Um, probably not totally planned to be away that long. Um, but, you know, I mean, it, was, it wasn't a bad time to be away in some ways. Um, my youngest daughter, Sophie, she actually came through London at one point in August and she went, she had to get her US visa because she, she's in college in America now. So that definitely broke it up a lot for me to go and help her out and to kind of see her off because it would have been pretty tough if I hadn't seen her before she went to college. Um, but the embassies in Australia had closed down, so the only option she had if she wanted to do it was to go through London. And she was fairly, had her mind made up that that was what she wanted to do. So, um, yeah, 
that's, that's where she is now. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it was, I mean, you know, you're close to home, you're on the, the ground and, you know, the final leg to go. Um, but it's a weird thing. It's it was it's a little bit like when you're injured as an athlete and you can't do what you want to do, but you find things that you can do, and yeah. then you get into this routine. So every morning, I was up at like six o'clock every morning, and out on the deck doing some exercise for you know two or three hours, and then I got a bike in my room as well with a trainer. So I started to do a bit of swift and full gas, all those acts that you can get. And so you do distract yourself with these things, and yeah. before you know it, you're you're very busy. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, yeah. And, I mean, and then, how did you get back? Then, out. how did you? I know that Melbourne Airport was at that point. I'm not too sure if it's still or if it's open yet for international flight. But how did you get back from Brisbane to Melbourne? Then did, was that another flight, or did you? Uh, yes, so that was a flight. So I had a flight booked with my my original flight so it was all a part of it so yeah. but you had to you had to quarantine in the city where you first landed okay um, so yeah I mean you just had to, well I went and stayed with my sister for a couple of days first um, and you know I figured I might as well while I was up there go and spend some time with her yeah and um, I have also have some cousins up there and it was it was a pretty full on day when I came out of um, the quarantine you know from spending you know pretty much most of every day by myself um, to then all of a sudden, you know, I went for a cycle with some people and um, then my sister had organized a big dinner with our family and, you know, you, it was nearly overload. I had a, yeah. By the end of it all, I had a, I had a sore throat from talking. Yeah. <laughs> like, I hope that's all it's from. Do you know, Sonia, yeah, I know you, at this at that stage, it was from anything else, like, you'd be, you'd be wondering what the hell do I have to do here? Like, the two weeks in quarantine, and then when you come out of that, we talk, and we have talked quite frequently with Niall Conroy, who's one of the senior public health doctors there in Queensland, and he was telling us about how life is, for the most part, pretty much normal. Is that what you found when you came out? Yeah, it was really weird. Like, it was very strange. Like, I, I remember, it was really weird to be, be close to people, and um, walking down the street, and I was, one of my sister's friends came to shake my hand, and you know, I nearly turned and ran away. It was one of those, you know, you just didn't know how to react. It was, it was like as if you were, you know, hadn't been around people for two years, not alone two weeks. Um, so it just took a little bit of getting used to, I suppose, just the company of people again and how, just how you interact with people yeah. um, was quite amazing. And even in Brisbane City, we went there on um, Monday. Um, it was great. We, from the balcony, I could see all these people outside whizzing around on these electric scooters. So I said to my to Julia and my sister, I said, "Oh, as soon as I come out, I want to go on those electric scooters." So, so we got on these scooters and went into the city. And walking down, they had this big central kind of area where it was pedestrian only. And you know, it was just packed. It was like Grafton Street, you know, full on. There was that was so strange because obviously I haven't seen that. Yeah. in Ireland or any, anywhere all summer and not here for a long oh, and, time. And we won't but for, for see, a while to come. Yeah, but just to see, you know, that people are living normally and there is no cases and, you know, you kind of have some hope that, you know, we can all get back to that level eventually and you know, it gives you some sense of positivity. But yeah. um, then you do wonder as well, is it because of the heat up there and is the heat a factor in 
suppressing the virus and making yeah. it, you know, less, you know, spreadable, I suppose. Assuming that, the, that it's partly, COVID. yeah, assuming that it's partly at least down to the quarantine. Here's the question. Now that you're home and you've all the family around you again, and do you think it's a worthwhile price to pay, Sonia, for the bit of normality that you now have? Um, oh, yeah, definitely, yeah. I mean, when I came out of there, I mean, everything, I appreciated everything, you know, 10 times more, just being able to do what I wanted again and, um, you know, to have the freedom again. But at the same time, I kind of think it's something you you would only want to do it once. You wouldn't want to do it twice. Yeah. I think if I had to do it again, I would find it a lot harder. You know, it's a bit of a novelty the first time and you can get your head around it. Um, but hopefully... I mean, it won't continue like this, you know. You'd be, be inclined to stay put year. now for a while. How often do you come to Ireland? Um, uh, well, normally I would be over and back every two months. Um, so this year, originally I planned to come in April. I have my own fun run in Cove. Um, in April, the Cove 10-mile race. And then, of course, like everything else, it got postponed. And so that's why I eventually came in July, because things just opened up and there was an opportunity to come. And, uh, and there was a number of athletes from Australia came over as well um, to run some races in Europe. Um, so I travelled back with them. So that was a big help to me as well to have four other athletes or four other people in the same hotel as me so we could kind of communicate with each other and, you know, you could support each other while you were um, and you knew you weren't doing it by yourself. Um, so we had that little bit of communication, which was pretty good, even though we didn't really get to see each other very much, maybe once or twice in the in the exercise yard yeah. if we, you know, if we happened to bump into each other. Like Sonia, if you had been travelling with say now Sophie, okay, if you'd been travelling with Sophie, could you quarantine together then or would you be separated in the hotel? Uh no, you could quarantine together, yeah. yeah. Well, that that would yeah. be helpful, I guess. I, yeah. I don't know. I think I'd rather do it by myself. <laughs> Mother and daughter, yeah. One of you likely to get thrown out that first floor window. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that happening. So, so Christmas, I suppose, six, six weeks away. You'll, you'll spend it. You'll spend it in Australia. Would you normally come home for Christmas? Uh, I normally come home in December for the few weeks before Christmas and yeah. get back here on Christmas Day. So, yeah, I definitely would miss that trip this year and. But, you know, it won't be the same because, you know, when I'm normally in Ireland at Christmas time, it's all about all the events and gatherings and yeah. activities going on. And, of course, none of that will be taking place this year. Yeah. So it would be very different for, for everybody, I think. Um, so, yeah, I think everybody will just have to make the best of wherever they are. And I think that's the thing, you know, with all this is that you have to live in your space and you can't be looking at, you know, what other people are doing and what you can't do and you just have to be able to make the most of what you've got. Yeah. And, you know, there is ways of doing that and ways of communicating and keeping in touch with people and, you know, it's very important, you know, to really, you know, look out for each other and, um, you know, make sure everybody does have, you know, some bit of communication with people because, you know, it can be a lonely time of year at Christmas, especially people who are away from home yeah. Um, but then for the people at home who won't get to see their families this year. Yeah. 
Sonia, the line isn't the best in the world. We'll try and talk to you again maybe closer to Christmas on a better line um, and maybe we, we could chat to you about Christmas and being away and stuff like that. But glad you're home, glad it's safe. Uh, we're je- jealous of the fact that you have a pretty normal life there now and, and of course also that it's high summer. You know what you left. <laughs> and it's only, yes, gotten, it's only gotten worse. <laughs> Sonia, take care and look after the family and look after yourself and we'll talk to you very, very soon. Okay, great. Great. Thanks very much. Cheers. Cheers. That's the great. Uh, Sonia O'Sullivan, home now in Melbourne, in Australia, having gone two weeks in quarantine in Brisbane. But like she said, when you get out of it, life is normal. But she won't be coming home for the Christmas. She won't be running out to book a flight anytime soon. Christmas is six weeks away, and it's too soon now, I think, for people to be uh, booking flights to come home. Yeah. Actually, I wonder what you think of that. What Leo, what Leo had to say yesterday. Christmas is six weeks away, and it's too soon now, I think, for people to be uh, booking flights to come home. He's saying, you don't come home for Christmas, don't be booking flights. Now, the only thing I thought was, anyone who is coming home for Christmas, no matter where they're from, the further away, the more this applies. They've got their flights booked since September, October, maybe earlier. If you're travelling the real cheap seats, if you need to you know, struggle to get home at Anthem to get home to see the family. You've probably been booking flights and saving for flights since May or June. So is he, is he, I don't know, talking, talking after the fact or what's he doing? This is six weeks away and it's too soon now, I think, for people to be uh, booking flights to come home. Any thoughts on that? Love to hear from them during the morning. 1850 You know, there are Christmas ads and there are Christmas ads every time John Lewis bring out a Christmas ad. It's a, it's a press event and we all wonder what they've done this year. Aldi always have a good one. Dunn's have a good one. Do you remember Penny's? Can't hold nothing for me. Oh, the, the wonderful, wonderful Guinness ad filmed around the corner from us here on Patrick's Hill. That beautiful ad. The McDonald's ad, the one where it's the only day of the year they're closed. There's ad after ad after ad. The Barry's Tea ad, the radio ad, which is in my mind the best Christmas ad ever made. There's Ad after ad after ad. So you kind of either get used to them or tired of them. I can never really figure out what it is. And then this hits you. Mom, is he still coming this year? Of course he is. Really, Dad? He's coming. Are you sure? He's coming. Granddad! Happy Christmas, Connor. I knew you'd come. 
Now, in preparing for this, I've watched and listened to that ad, The Bones, 20 times, and it's still getting me in the fields. The young star of that ad is a lad called Kean Carney. He's from Douglas. Hey, Kean. Hi. Did you realise you were going to be a star quite so quickly? Um, no, I didn't. <laughs> you did great, young man. How did you get this gig? Well, it kind of started off by the table and I auditioned and I think I did quite good, my dad said. So then we got on a Zoom and it was about 30 or 40 minutes. So we thought that was unusual and we thought it was really good. And then the next couple of days, we got a text saying I got it and I was happier than ever. I'll bet. I'll bet. You, you thought it might be good. It's brilliant. So how, how long did filming it take? How long did it take to film it all? That was a big adventure. Um, all together, probably like 15 hours. Really? And all the little bits together and you film them loads of times and you get... And of course your dad's done a bit of filmmaking in his own time so he was helping you through it. I'm, by the way, I'm very, very glad, Kian, that you're able to take some time out of school for us. I'm, I'm very grateful to your teachers and all for letting you do that. How, how, did, how did your friends at school take the news? Did, what did they say about it? Well, at first, they just didn't believe me. <laughs> so I was waiting for that day, and now every one of them are talking about it, so I'm very happy. I'm saying you were. Are you signing autographs yet? Um, not yet, but my granddad wants one. Of course he does. Of course he does. Yeah, and it means this ad means it means an awful lot to you. The the message of it, doesn't it? Yeah, because I haven't seen my nana and granddad in a long time. When did you see them last, Kian? Um. Weeks ago. Weeks ago, yeah. Before before these new rules, was it? Yeah, before yeah. the five kilometres. Yeah, because they live a little bit away, yeah? Yeah. And tell me something. How important is it, young man? And maybe the government is listening now, and maybe the doctors, and we know we have to do what's right, and we know we have to follow the rules, but how important is it to you, Kean, that you can see your granny and granddad at Christmas? I, it's probably going to be the most important thing. I really want to see them. Okay, okay. And that's bigger than Santa, isn't it? Um, yeah. Yeah. All right, well, listen, you know what? They tell us, first of all, they tell us that Santa will be coming anyway. Yeah. But, but what we're seeing in the papers this morning is that you just might get to see Nana and Granda at Christmas Day. Yeah. Hopefully. 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 Well, you know what? You, I saw you. Did were you praying in that in that ad? Yeah, I was praying so hard to get the part. To get the part. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, say a little prayer. You never know what would happen for Christmas. You look after yourself. Will you put me on to your dad? You've done a you're, you're, you're a wonderful job. He's 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 a star. He's an absolute star, Jer. He's a he's a great kid. He really is. How really did is. how did you get? Whose idea was this? Did no, how did no, you find uh, out about it? it? So, um, because I've done something before in the past, then a casting agent who I've, you know, I'd occasionally audition for things with, uh, contacted me to say, we think you might be good for this. And they were looking for me for the dad role. And um, 
through conversing with them, they were saying it centers around an eight-year-old boy. And I was saying, well, you have an eight-year-old boy. And they were like, okay, send, send them in, send them in, send a tape in. So we did a self-tape and we sent it in. And very quickly, they got less interested in me and more interested in Kian. So that's <laughs> what happened. This was War of the Buttons all over again where the adults got tossed aside. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm getting the first lagging from my brothers as well, like, because they're saying, you're not even believable as his real dad, you know. You're, <laughs> you're not that good of an actor. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the, the response to it, Jar, has been immense. Like, yeah, it's, 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 it's kicked. It's kicked John Lewis. It's kicked everybody out of the park. Yeah, we're. I'm, I'm now starting to get the messages um, from like. Um, there's a guy in the states who I know, and he's just on Facebook, and I know him from years ago. And he's living over there the past ten, maybe twenty years, and uh, he was saying, "Jerk, there's people over here sharing the ad. They have no idea that I know you, and they're not Irish, you know." Um, and I got the same story from Australia. Um, believe it or not, someone had told me that it's 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 very big in Saudi Arabia and France. It's just, it really is. It, it's it's snowballing every day, like you know. Well, it's it's, it's been manic. It's been incredible. I've been saying for many, many years, and, and even if it doesn't get scheduled in the Christmas schedule, I always play it. Because there's an ad that I think is the greatest television, or the greatest ad made for Christmas ever. Last night, yeah. when I came home. Remember this one? Said, Mary couldn't believe it. She doesn't know what they wanted at all, she said. Santa will bring them what they want, I said. This is from me. But you know what I'm going to tell you? Go on. Is he still coming this year? Of course he is. Really, Dad? He's coming. I think you've beaten Barry's tea. <laughs> I think Kian has beaten Barry's tea. Oh, God. I'm it's something, sp- it's so, so special. Now, yeah. the big hug at the end, I think yeah. we need to kind of let people know that was done by the magic of telly. That was, yeah. Because we're yeah, kind no. of, you know, it's it's important that we let kids know that, you know, it would be great to see Nana and Grand at Christmas Day, but we might not be able to just jump out and hug them. So that yeah. was done for telly. Yeah, that was all done for telly. No, there, there was a procedure. At the same time, we should protect the magic of the ad. You know, it's like a magic trick. You know, if you if you let the secret out, it's no longer magic. Yeah. Um, so, like someone said, uh, magi- magicians um, don't keep secrets from you; they keep secrets for you. Yes. And it's the same thing for the ad. I mean, if you look at it, and if you you know, if, it wouldn't take long to kind of figure it out. But you know, it was done. I mean, to be honest, the whole thing is a hugely professional setup when you're up there. Mm. Over the three days that we were up there, it was, you know, uh, on site was a COVID officer uh, and a medic and they were independent and their sole job was to make sure all the rules and regs were being adhered to. Uh, temperature checks throughout the day, you were given a badge, a coloured badge to see what time you were um, temperature checked, see if you were due another one and so on. So, I mean, it was impeccable, you know, so... Um, it, but it is important. That is an important message because um, you don't want people thinking that this is... Yeah. You can just go over and randomly hug people, you know. it's. Um, this was done for the telly. And like this, you said, this is to keep the magic alive. Done yeah. for the telly. And of course, you're you're a, you're a, you're a magician yourself, so you're well yeah. attuned to keeping secrets from us, you <laughs> yeah. Tibble, yeah? Yeah. And a yeah. magician never gives away his secrets. No, 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 no. We, we, we neither confirm or deny, you know. All right, all right. <laughs> well, Jared, listen, it's, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. And he's wonderful. You're, yeah. you're, you're just you. 
you know. <laughs> I'm, I'm way down the list now with this guy. He's, he's Congra- congratulations to him and get him back into school. Um, yeah. And you know what? He's, he's a natural. Can, 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 because I think, because like, the school has been good to us for, to let us do this, and I think that all his classmates are actually listening by the radio. Can I put Keen on just to say hello to everybody? Well, where's and, the school? What school is it? Uh, school Nicholas uh, in Grange. Off you go, put him on. There you go. Hi. Hey, uh, say hello Hi. to everybody in the school and the teacher and the whole lot. Hi, everybody. Hi, Miss Keishan. I mean, Miss Donnelly. And what class is it, Kean? Um, it's third. Third class. All right. Well, listen. Hello to everybody in the class. Your own local superstar says hello to you all. Well done, Keen. That's great, PJ. You were fantastic. Thanks for being here. Take care. Cheers, guys. Not Cheers. at all. An absolute pleasure. It's it's a triumph. Yeah. It's a real triumph. Thanks a lot. That's Jared Carney and Keen with the star of this ad. Mom, is he still coming this year? Of course he is. Really, Dad? He's coming. Are you sure? He's coming. Granddad! Happy Christmas, Connor. I knew you'd come. It's magic. Ninety six FM's ten K toy giveaway is coming. Get ready for fun and play because we're giving away loads of five hundred euro toy shopping free for free for free. Listen to Casey and Ross in the morning and all day long. Then text or WhatsApp in for your chance to win on zero eight three three ninety six ninety six ninety six. Cork's 96FM's 10K Toy Giveaway starts Monday from 6am with Johnson & Perrett, Douglas Bishopstown and Mahon Point. Put 2020 behind you and drive into 2021. Always open at jpmg.ie. Only on Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083 396 96 On Cork's 96FM. Uh, lots of response to Kean uh, on the Super Value ad. I just watched the ad and I'm in tears, says this one. Well done, little star. Katie was bawling at it. Don't think I could see it again. It was totally unexpected. And I'm bawling, says another caller. What a great little fella. Well done, Kean. It's a, such a beautiful ad. It's on YouTube. You'll find it on YouTube. Just put in Super Value Christmas ad 2020 and it's the first or second one that'll come up on, on the screen. We might even share it if we get the link because people need to see this. It's just magic. It's beaten every other Christmas ad out of the park for 2020. There will be no beating this. There will be no beating this. It's brilliant. 1850-715-996. So then yesterday, Leo Varadkar stands up in the doyle. I think in terms of people booking flights for Christmas to come home, uh, I advise them not to do that at the moment. I know that's difficult. I know that's tough. Um, but uh, Christmas is six weeks away. And it's too soon now, I think, for people to be uh, booking flights to come home. I was watching Reeling in the Years the other day. From 19, in 1967, there was a foot-and-mouth outbreak uh, in England. Um, people were asked not to come home. 
uh, and they didn't, and Foot and Mouth didn't come into Ireland. I'm not saying it's the same, uh, but certainly we're not in a position at this point to advise people that it's safe to come home for Christmas. And I know that's a tough message to hear, but that is the case at the moment. A tough message. There was a kind of a collective around the country. So Leo had said it in the Doyle, and then of course it came up at uh, Tony Holohan's weekly briefing. We're saying exactly as I understand the tone she said today that uh, we think people should avoid non-essential travel and continue to do so for the foreseeable future. That includes the Christmas period and we would feel that the kind of travel that would normally happen at Christmas time, people coming back to spend time with their loved ones, which you all understand and facilitate, we have to regard as non-essential for this Christmas. That will be one of the most significant risks for us if we make the progress that we hope we can continue to make and find ourselves at the beginning of December with a much improved situation, even from where we are at the moment. If we do, uh, one of the biggest risks in that will be the reimportation of disease through international travel. When you look at the patterns of transmission of this disease, we're in a divergent track with most of Europe. We are likely to find ourselves within weeks in a situation whereby international travel once again becomes a, a, a dominant risk, if you like, in terms of importation of the disease. Now, straight on top of this comment, or these comments, was Michael Dooley, or Dooley, who's the current president of the Irish Travel Agents Association and also the gaffer at Shandon Travel. Michael, good morning to you. Premature, you're saying? Morning, PJ. Yes, I think so. I can understand totally why uh, the Tarnished and Effort would say don't travel because uh, there is a danger that, that infections would come in. What I think they should be doing is recognising people are going to come home. Yeah. The, the, urge, you know, the desire to be home and see their parents or grandparents or whatever it is is so strong, they're going to travel because the flights are operating. The flights are there for Christmas, so people are going to book on them. What I would suggest, PJ, is the government should come out and say, if you do have to travel, or if you are travelling, follow, say, the following guidelines Book your airline, but before you book it, see what are the terms and conditions about changing your flight. Mm. If you've done that, then five days in advance of travel, take a test. If you're positive, do not travel, but you know that you're able to change your flight to a later date. Mm. If you're negative, you're, you're okay to travel. And then before you travel, take some precautions. For instance, small things like don't drink at the airport before you go and go to the toilet before you go so that once you're on the aircraft, you don't have to go to the toilet and that's not recommended that you go to the toilet on the aircraft. Hmm. And then wear a mask, obviously. Do all the things you're told to do about coughing into your arm, etc., etc. Mm-hmm. On arrival, when you get home, PJ, change your clothes, put them in the wash, put on, have a shower, put on fresh clothes if necessary, if you can take a temperature test, take it, and then take all the normal precautions that Nefid are suggesting and have been suggesting very effectively all along. The thing is, so, if you do what Nefid are suggesting, you'll be pretty much confined to barracks for the whole time you're home, given that most people come home for a week, 10 days, maybe two weeks. They'll be confined to barracks for, for that time. Could be, depending on where you're coming from. It may be from one of the countries whereby if you take a test within five days, then you don't have to isolate for 14 days. Yeah. And again, uh, there, there are a lot of people for whom isolating for two weeks or whatever isn't necessarily a huge problem. Yeah. You know, I think we need to keep it simple, PJ. Keep it simple. Get tested. 
before you travel from whatever country you're coming from. If you're negative, you should be okay to travel and then take the precautions when you arrive into the country. What I'm saying is that that Donstan and Neffet, I presume they will recognise the fact people are going to travel. The flights are there. They're not booked out at the minute. There isn't a huge raft of bookings coming through, Mm. but people are going to travel. Shouldn't we be, though, in the interest of safety, Michael, and the public health advice, shouldn't we be just saying it's just one Christmas? Like, is it worth the risk? I agree, totally. But I also accept the reality. People are going to travel, irrespective of the sound advice given by the Tornista and by Neffet. People are going to travel. And if that is, this, if we accept that's the situation and we minimize it by advising people, take that test before you travel. Mm-hmm. If you're positive, change your flight because you've looked at the airline conditions and they allow you to change your flight. So it's all I'm suggesting is the reality of the situation. And if we feel and believe that people are going to travel, and I think they will, mm-hmm. well, then let's give them the best advice as to how to reduce the risk of transmitting any virus. And you know, Michael, you can give people all the advice in the world and the advice you give is excellent, but you can't, it's like bringing the horse to water, you can't make him drink. The The risk is that people will just come home and ignore all that advice and be yeah, asymptomatic, that, come home, be yeah. asymptomatic, visit their yes. mates, and before you know it, you have trouble. Yes, yes. And and, and I agree, I'm not... I'm not talking against the Tornista or against Neffet, I'm just suggesting there's a reality out there uh, that and people should be advised, if you are going against the advice, please do the following. If you're going against government advice and Neffet advice, please take the following precautions. Also keep in mind, PJ, there, the amount of flights that have been cancelled by all the airlines coming into the country or going out of the country has been reduced significantly. Yes. So the amount of people who would be coming in is going to be smaller than ever before anyhow because they haven't got the capacity to get into the country. Yeah. Here's so another question. Right. If you yes. travel home against the advice, and as you said, people will. I know they will. I, I'd, I'd be honest with you, Michael, if it was me and I had a son or a daughter or it was myself overseas, I'd be very hard-pressed not to. Yeah. But if you travel against the advice... Is your travel insurance valid? Most likely not. And again, the advice is check with the insurance company that you have taken out your insurance with. Most likely not. But again, I'll go back to it. If it, the, uh, the flight part of it, if you check your airline's conditions, and they've all softened quite a bit on terms and conditions since this, you may be allowed a free change of flight. So you've booked it for the 21st of November, the 20th of December, rather, and... Uh, or you, at the last minute you have found that you're positive. Change your flight. So you're not suffering financially, but you are taking the best precautions and you're in line with uh, reducing the risk of bringing the, the virus into the country. Okay. It's common sense, PJ. Was, you know, a lot of it is pure common sense. Take care. You know, don't take too much of a risk on it. People are going to take the risk. We know that. Yeah. But don't take a risk. And if you are coming in, you have the option of getting tested within five days here when you arrive, and that's good. But most importantly, take the test five days before you're due to leave your destination in Europe. And I think it's mainly Europe we're talking about. I don't think 
there'll be a huge influx of people taking long haul flights mm. because of the fear of being on the aircraft. Well, Australia and, and New Zealand simply is. won't let you out. Yeah, exactly. China, the same. So, they won't let you out for leisure travel, and that would be classed as leisure travel. That's right. You know, so mean, a lot yeah, of yeah. countries just won't let you out when it's, yeah. going, when it's coming home for sure. Christmas. So you, you combine that, PJ, you combine that with the reduced number of flights coming into the country anyhow. Yeah. yeah. You know, so there's not going to be the, the hundreds of thousands that normally come home. That's not going to happen anyhow. And, and it's very sad for them, uh, unfortunately, and for their families, but we live in very, very difficult, very strange times. Thank you very much. That's Michael Dooley, or Dooley from Shandon Travel, current president of the Irish Travel Agents Association. If you're most... People are going to do this. They're going to travel... He's saying if you're going to travel, and there's people listening to me now in the four corners of the world that pick us up on overnight or pick us up on on podcast or listen live at whatever time zone they're in. If you're going to come home, what he's saying is get a test five days before you travel and get a test when you come home and follow the rules. Even though the Taoiseach and, or sorry, the Taunishta, I'm making the mistake now, the Taunishta and the Chief Medical Officer would prefer that you didn't come at all. Our old friend, Ed Harper. Ed, how are you, sir? Uh, if I spent my time telling you how I really was, it would fill your programme, so I won't. I'm OK. Good, good. And I hope that Cape Clear, the beautiful Cape Clear, where, where you live and have lived for many years, I, I hope it is COVID-free down there. Yeah, we haven't had a single case, um, and hopefully we're not likely to in the near future. Great. Um, we're certainly not short of fresh air. That's one thing, especially at this time of year. Ain't that it's the very, truth? very high pressure fresh air. Um, <clears throat> you wanted to talk about Leo and what he said yesterday. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I don't know whether to pity the man or be furious, but I think I'm verging on the side of furious. He has no concept of what it's like for for the, the rest of us. I mean, on the kind of money he's on, just as Taoiseach, let alone his private practice um, doctoring, let alone his deals with various people, which I'm sure are, are not just free friendship gifts. Well, now, um, Ed, let's it, be careful well, what we're saying right, yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. He, he draws a salary as tarnished, uh, and that's as much as we're allowed yes, to yes, say. Yes, okay. Well, a substantial even, salary is even, even missing the speculation, that is more than enough. If you take a basic TD, a basic TD is on something like 10 times what somebody who is unemployed is. And people on low pay, sadly, um, even when they were working, were on not a terrible lot more than people who were unemployed. And then when you consider the number of people now who are on short time or have been made redundant, and Leo and his crew have not even moved to make sure that those people get their rights in redundancy. I mean, look at Debenhams. Anyway, um, but my, my point really is this, that... <sighs> You know, yes, the advice that your your um, last speaker gave, you know, get tested before you, you move, get tested when you get here. That's great advice and it's very sensible. And, you know, otherwise you, you come into the country and you isolate yourself for two weeks. But the fact of the matter is that those two tests, most of us couldn't afford. Most ordinary people can't afford to be tested twice and fly and not be working for, you know, a couple of weeks or whatever it is um, if they're coming over for Christmas. It isn't realistic. And it isn't realistic because the people who rule us, I mean, for a start, this time, for once, they can't turn around and say, well, it's your fault you voted us in. No, we didn't vote you in. 
they did they they juggled and horse traded well, they did and well they did what they did what they're constitutionally, oh, they're constitutionally obliged allowed. to do yeah yeah, so, yeah. The, but the, no the get get back to the travel issue like do you feel for example that you know if you were someone with family overseas right now who wanted to come home for Christmas, Ed, what would you say to them? Would you say, it, look, it's just one Christmas, let's, let's, let's just do what we're told? Or would you be encouraging them to take the chance? Well, I'm in the position that, that I just had a birthday and I'm 72 now. So my family, most of my family in, in Britain um, are also old. And if they've got the money to travel, they better do it soon because if they don't, you know, like we may not be here just from natural causes, nothing to do with viruses. Do you know what I mean? And if, if, and this, this is, this is my point about the government and why I think the government's behavior is disgraceful. I mean, if we were talking three months, even six months, we're looking at more than six months now. We're looking back really to March Mm. when all this starts back in June. The case levels were very low. We were going the right way. We could have nailed this thing. We could now be living like the people in Queensland. That is what actually the Anthony Staineses of this world and, and the Jer Kaleems and Tomas Ryans, that's what they've been saying. And I think I've come to agree. We were all very excited when, when we could go and have a, a pint and a, and a bit of lunch again. We were all very... We, we, we lost the run of ourselves in June and came, in, and came back too fast. Yeah, and I mean, the truth, and, and the real interesting question about it is, is of course, we all want to, to be able to have a decent social life. We're human beings. Human beings shake hands, hug each other, kiss each other, sit in large groups, talk and sing, and that kind of thing. You know, that's what we do. That's the kind of creature we are. We're a social animal. What we're being asked to do is totally contrary to our normal, natural behaviours. And to do it for a short while is quite feasible. We could have actually kicked this thing. We would have had to have actually had quarantine centres like they do in, in Queensland. But for God's sake, there are hotels near airports. Hang on, they rented out the city right. west at colossal cost to act as yep. a quarantine isolation centre and I don't think anybody ever went there. Well, yes, exactly. But what you see, what you're missing is that, well, you're probably not missing it, but I'll say it for you. It, it doesn't matter, you know, if you, if you actually... Um, rent somewhere or whatever it's the person who gets the contract it's the that does the money go into the right pockets that's what counts and that's what's been going on for the last i don't know how many months all these conspiracy theories about there's no virus and whatever i'm sorry but i i may have a few uh, friends and acquaintances who believe these they're nonsense of course it exists how dangerous we're finding out progressively um, but the point is what the conspiracy that is going on is the usual conspiracy is making sure that the right people um, in the right circles yeah. get the money. It's that and old. It's that old bit of. Pockets? It's that old little. Is it? Is it Latin? Uh, Quae bono? We have to ask. Quae bono. Ed, for no reason other yeah. than time. It's great to speak to you again. And uh, let's not leave it so long. The great Ed Harper, our Harper, on uh, Cape Clear, COVID-free zone. You are listening to highlights from the opinion line on Corks ninety six FM. To hear the full show, download the podcast from iTunes or see 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Corks 96FM. Lots of people very happy to hear good old Ed Harper. 
back on the opinion line. He's not been with us in a while. Mag says, great to hear him back. Kevin says, rock of sense. We kind of wondered during the summer, like, how is old Ed down there on Cape Clear? And they're COVID-free and he's happy out down there with his goats, making a bit of goat's cheese and just living the dream, as it were, uh, down on one of the most beautiful places on Christ's earth, Cape Clear off our wonderful Cork coast. Yeah, we'll have him on again. We'll have him on again. It has plenty to say. And as Kevin said, it's often a rock of sense. 1857-15996, the number, the text to WhatsApp, 083-396-9696. Email for the show is opinion at 96fm.ie. On the subject of coming home for Christmas, and we know that there are loads of people who want to come home. And as Michael Dourley said, many people will come home anyway. And if they come home carefully and observe all the precautions, then perhaps they can have a Christmas at home. I don't know which side of this discussion that I'm on. I really don't. If I was away overseas, or if I had family living overseas, would I want to see them for Christmas? Oh, so desperately, yes. I would also desperately want to see them for Christmas. But look, can it really be done practically and safely and without risk? That I don't know. And would you be able to say, look, it's just one Christmas? Then again, I don't have kids of that age, young. I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And if you have any thoughts on it, I'd love to hear from you at 1850-715-996. Now... We're still in level five for another two weeks Wednesday. And at that stage, pretty much all of the shops are expected to open and we'll have to obviously observe social distancing and all that inside. But one of the first thoughts you have with regard to this is, first of all, there'll be a stampede into the shops on the 1st and 2nd of December. But that's another thing. The other one is... Is it really practical or is it really fair, I guess, to have toy shops closed at this time? This is their biggest time. Santa will bring all of the presents to the children and Santa is cleared for every airport in the world. There's no quarantine for Santa. Santa will travel as planned on Christmas Eve. He'll have a mask and Rudolph will have a mask and all that, but he'll travel Christmas Eve. But, you know, we all want to buy toys for the children in our lives anyway. And we we can't at the moment unless we're going to go online or do click and collect and all of that. And the toy store sector, if you want, are they're suffering. Everyone's suffering, but in particular, I guess, the toy store sector. And at this time of of the year. Um, and uh, Dahi O'Connor is with the World of Wonder Toys. Dahi, good morning. Good morning, TJ. Thanks for having me on. Delighted. It's tough. It is very tough. And I think your, your sector, you in particular, have asked the government, can we get a special case here, please, for toy stores to open now? Yeah, I believe there, look, there is a special case because we are pretty weak um, in that... Uh, we really don't have the benefit of the sales. So the day we open the start gun, um, there is a finish line, and that's the 24th, as we all know. Um, but you know they can't be bought on the 26th or 27th in the um, 
in the big January sales. They just don't happen for tired business. So we're under particular pressure, um, even on like the electrical business or uh, fashion. Um, you know, if we got open a week early, we would close two weeks in January. You know, and I think if you spoke to any toy retailer, if they got open a week earlier in in November, uh, they would certainly agree to close for the two weeks in January because we, we don't do any business in those two weeks. You make the point that hardware stores are open. And I suppose, in a way, toys are a form of hardware. So do you feel a little bit hard done by that, say, yeah. Woody's is open and you're not? Woody's, and, and there's, there's other multiple uh, product retailers out there. Um, you know, you have... Uh, People selling hardware with even bits of toys in it and, and other products. So there are toys been sold out there by other retailers that maybe have what we call in first come as essential products, maybe 10% of their shops. Uh, and they are selling. And we know them. They're out there. Um, and toys really weren't given any consideration. It's not a big part. You know, it's not the size of the hardware business in Ireland, nothing like it. It's small, but... Um, it is vitally important this time of year for both the retailers and the customers uh, but really no considerations they give to us, you know. Uh, half half of retailers open uh, in the country, half of retailers closed, and it is safe. If you had half the bars open and half the bars closed at, the, at this yeah. very moment, they'd be uproar. Is, uh, is online an option for, say, I mean, you've six outlets. Is online a genuine option for you? Well, we, look, we, we've developed our online at worldofwondertoys.ie over the last year or two, and, and it's helpful. It really does help. If we didn't have it, we'd be in real trouble. Uh, it's giving an outlet, it's bringing in some cash, but even with a good website that we have at e, you can't drive all the sales necessary in the last eight or nine weeks yeah. because you really do need shops to do that. You need people to come in and grab the goods, pick them up and go. Trying to sell it online is is, is hugely beneficial, but you just won't get the volume through an online uh, and call and collect or click and collect click not and quite collect. the same either, no? Not the same. Look, we have call and collect in, in, in Blackpool, but it's just not the same. People are limited also to five five K, and they're not even travelling over the um, over the river, you know. <laughs> it's uh, people are staying within their five K, and a lot of our customers would be, especially in regional towns that we're in. Towns could be 15, 10, 15,000 people, maybe up to twenty, but three quarters of your customers could be well outside that five K. If you're a city store you probably are in a better situation because you could have, you know, 200,000 people within a 5K. Mm. So there's put, you know, really difficulties for small regional toy shops. And all these, you know, this, all these sales would have to be squeezed in somewhere or other to those just 24 days, as I said. Unlike other retailers, we will not get the yeah. boost of the, um, of the uh, January sales the help. Because it's going to be a tough Christmas for all retailers, but at yeah. least you can in January. Uh, clear your stocks and get get cash in in those in that yeah. in those two weeks after yeah. after. Um, no, that doesn't it doesn't apply. It doesn't apply in your yeah, are, are you hoping, Dahi, that somebody will take this up on on the behalf of your sector and bring it to to Neffet and say, look, can we please give some consideration to this? Can we have some advice on this? I think you're pretty deaf ears there. I, I just I don't know if, you know it's probably a vain hope, but. They seem to be just all harping on down the line. Uh, we're going to open on the 1st of December, maybe. Um, and they're treating retail the same as, as bars and restaurants, which really isn't, but they're incredibly safe. Retail is safe because you have, at this very moment, you'll have thousands of people in Duns and Tesco every single day packed. And they're more packed than ever because every other retail store is yeah. closed. And there's been no transfer. There's, you know, there's no transfer. Numbers are going way down. 
people are not hanging around in retail stores are getting in, they're getting out. You can manage the amount of people in there. There's no conversation going on. Masks are worn. It's as safe as anywhere. It was in the papers earlier in the week, Pennies is one name raised, but others are seem to be considering it 24-hour opening. Is that even feasible for you? It wouldn't be feasible with the staff levels we have, you know. It's just you couldn't ask your staff to do that. We, we will open public extended hours an hour early in the morning and early in the evening uh, and try and encourage people to come kind of early afternoon and during the week more than at the weekend like they normally would. So I encourage customers to to spread it out. But look, it's still going to be very difficult to to get mm. that ten week sales into what would just be over three weeks. Yeah. Uh, the kind of people that might be in a position to bring it to Neffet as a question for for their consideration, like for example, the Taoiseach, who's a Corkman. Yeah, a Corkman. Would, you, would you be asking him to do that? I would be. I'd be asking all politicians. I mean, I've tried to speak to one of two politicians in, in, in from Kerry and in Kerry and Fernie. I got, I got, um, I got the year of one politician there, but he's not a politician in government. Um, I didn't get a response from anybody in the government. Look, I just don't think they want to hear. They just seem to be totally focused on on what Neffet are telling them, and there, there seems to be no nuance. There's meant to be five stages. We jumped from three to five. We, you know, we skipped out. Um, stage there and, and they're just not for, for turning mm. uh, particularly when it seems to be retail I, I think yeah. I think from every point of view if they opened in stages and started retail a bit earlier and maybe toy, I think toys should get a chance to open early because it is essential and we, we, we don't have the benefit of January we really are in that yeah. pressure period more than anybody else and, and then maybe staggered opening rather than uh, it'd be like a start gun on the 1st of January and every shop in the country is open and yeah. uh you know, they'd be giving out in a week later after that. They see too many people on the streets. You know, there'll be people calling to shut down again. It's, it's you can almost hear it happening already. Yeah. Um, on, on a brighter note, Dahi, and we'll we'll see if anyone takes you takes takes you up on that. On a brighter note, uh, when when we can get in to buy some toys, what are the biggies of twenty twenty? Yeah, well, they can't get in. Look, we're 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 as I said, we're well stocked up. We're stocked up both online and in the, yeah. in, in, in the store. Look, it's the, it's the usual. You have lol for the girls, um, uh, Paw Patrol for the younger boys. Um, traditional games are back in a big way this year with even Irish Monopoly and uh, games and jigsaws are huge and crafts because people are at home. Yeah. You know, they're locked down. So they need to pass the time. Families need to pass the time. So it's come back to a lot of traditional toys. Wooden yeah. Doll's House. We have uh, Eva's Wooden Doll's House there. Um, and your traditional ride on tractors. Yeah. So, you know, it's back to a lot of traditional toys, actually. Um, which, which is, is nice to thing, see. I think. Which it's is nice, nice to see, see more than, you know, more than your TV advertised toys because they didn't bring out too many this year with lockdown. And yeah. with, with actually, I had noticed that. There, there, there isn't the usual slew of TV ads, the ads. No, there isn't. Look, it, 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 obviously, they know toys are toy, toy shops are closed. They're closed now in the UK as well. Yeah. Uh, although not in the north, and that's another big issue. I mean, you have toys, you know, in the north, and and you will have Irish people going over as we as we get close to December and panic sets in, and they want to get a product they have to get. Um, they will be, and they are going over. I've heard from from sales reps that people yeah. are. Going over the north into the north already, two toy shops are open. Because the they're open up there. They're open up there. Of course, we yeah, forgot yeah. that. Whatever kind of lockdown they're doing in the north, the retail is still open. Retail is still open, yeah. and in most countries it remained open unless it really got really bad. You know. Yeah. Uh, but Bernie, Bernie has been on the phone with a question for you. 
she says, we can't buy clothes at the moment. How can toys possibly be essential? Can't you just wait like everybody else? Well, I think toys, this is a particular time of year. Uh, uh, we have, you know, you have different seasons in, in the fashion business. We, you don't have in, in, in the toy business. And I'm not saying you shouldn't. I think you, you should be able to buy, buy clothes. I think fashion shops are just as safe as toy shops. But I think we're in a particular uh, bind in that, you you know, if you don't get your item of clothing for Christmas, you, you wait for the sales. And a lot of people will wait anyway for the sales. We don't have those sales. We have a, a deadline on the 24th. And after that, you can't give away toy. Yeah. Uh, right. And that's, 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 that's what puts us in, in a different situation. Okay. Okay. And driving people into the shops for just three weeks, I just don't think, I think it's a bit reckless. Okay. And it's unnecessary because I think if you opened it up a bit earlier, it would spread it out. Um, and I think it'd be better for everybody. And okay. it would help the toy business, which I think is uniquely affected by, by, by this lockdown, particularly at this time of year. I mean, you don't need to go into hardware stores. You know, there's, there's other stores out there. There's multiple sellers. They're all open and nobody's saying anything about it. Um, uh, and they don't depend on toys. To, you know, a toy shop depends on toys. And we wouldn't exist if it wasn't for Christmas. So yeah. if there's any other business out there, I can say that they would wouldn't exist if it wasn't for Christmas. I think specialist toy shops would not be there if it wasn't for the Christmas period. Yeah, all right. So I look, it's, or it's, Dahi, we'll we'll leave it there for today, yeah. and we'll see what happens if anything does happen, and if you do hear anything back down the political grapevine uh, from any of the people you've been in touch with, do let us know. And if we have any of the politicians on, we might get to raise this. And some people think it's unreasonable. Some people think they're look they're yet another business. And this is the thing. You know, you have to look at it very cold, coldly and, and honestly. Every business, every business will find a way to try to persuade you that it's essential. This is the thing. But in terms of Christmas, the toy shops reckon that they are even more essential than clothes because their point being, well, you can have a clothes sale on the 27th of, of December and you can sell all your stock and rake in a bit of cash. Toy shops are empty. Empty. 1850 Maria is from Spain. Buenos dias. Maria, living in Cork since 2009. Do you realise it's not only Irish people coming home who can't travel over Christmas. It's also about the foreign people living in Ireland that are being affected. I haven't heard even one mention of us in any media, on the paper, TV or radio. It's frustrating and disappointing for us all, Irish and non-Irish. I'm Spanish and I find myself in the same situation. Valid point, Maria. And muchas gracias for making it. She listens every morning to the show. Thank you very much, Maria. Uh, and, uh, yeah, that's another... I mean, they, like, we're not just the only people who take family seriously at Christmas. The Spanish take family extraordinarily seriously. You, Sunday is family day in Spain and you want to see the way they're celebrated. Family is very big in Poland. Family is very big in France. You're going to have this. This is a global problem leading into Christmas time. Some people were just told, no, don't, don't come home. It's really hard to describe the show. It's a bit of crack. It's a bit of a laugh on a Saturday. Yeah, that's what, that's it. Four hours straight, no stop, no break. There's lots of showbiz news. Mm-hmm. Um, we kind of just laugh at celebrities doing stupid things. <laughs> <laughs> so good! The 
Lorraine and Demi. Lorraine and Demi. Live. Live. Why would a person want to listen to our show? Because I'm here. I mean, why would a person want to listen don't, to our show? Don't do that. <laughs> Lorraine and Demi. Live. Saturdays, 2 to 6 p.m. On the best music mix. Corks 96 FM. This is Corks Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083 96 96 96. On Corks 96 FM. Tom thinks the toy shops should be allowed to open if they can organise for safe shopping in supermarkets and off licences. I have mixed feelings about the travelling home issue, though, he says. I have a brother in Tasmania. I would love to see him, but he can't even get out of Australia easily. And if he did, he'd have to be quarantined. So when you see other countries doing that, it would make you think. And don't, yeah, there's the thing. Don't think for a minute that getting in and out of other countries to go home for Christmas is going to be easy anywhere. It's not. You can't even get out of Australia. Like Sonia said earlier on this morning, if she wanted to get out of Australia now to come home for the Christmas, there'd be another quarantine rigmarole because they're putting the country and the safety of the country and the public health of the country before everybody else's desire to get home for for Christmas. Sheila, on the toys, I think at this time of the year only toys are essential. There will, at this time of the year only, okay, toys are essential. There will be chaos with people rushing in and trying to get their budgets right. Some people want to spend their money all in one time when they get the chance or get a paycheck or children's allowance or something. So there will be a mad stampede, is what Sheila is saying. Uh, On travelling home for Christmas, and again, these are the kind of messages that you get in and you know you're going to get them in and your heart breaks for the people involved in this. What kind of a decision do you make? I'm 76. My sister lives in England. She's 83. Might just be one Christmas, but we might not have any more. Our lives are short, so I won't get to see her. I'm lucky. I have my children and grandchildren here, but it is so, so sad. And indeed it is. I guess you can understand people desperately wanting to come home to see elderly parents, especially if they stayed away all year to protect them or if parents were cocooning. But God, it'd be very hard to say to people in their 50s or whatever in London, you can't come home to see your 85-year-old mother. I know they're more worried about people in their 20s and 30s coming home and meeting all their friends, whether it's outdoor or not. People never think they'll catch it from people they know. We tend to think of it in a kind of stranger danger way. But then people drop their guard with friends. It's natural, but that's the risk, says Elle. And that is so true. And isn't that what we've been told from day one by all of the experts? Be more careful around the people you think you're safe around. You let your guard down with your close friends. You let your guard down with family members. Don't. You can't. That's the worst possible time to let your guard down. And then someone phoned up and says to Terry on the phone over to Fergal, I don't know, well, isn't this an opportunity now to teach our children about small sacrifices? See, (laughs) that comment is halfway between common sense and brain dead. Have children halfway is neither. But it's somewhere between common sense and branded. Like, children have missed out on communions, birthdays, confirmations, graduations, holidays, visits to their aunties and uncles, visits to their grannies and granddad. You might have heard Key in there who's on the ad. It's 
more important to him than Santa to see his granny and granddad on Christmas Day. And this thing about teaching children about small sacrifices, they've been making them since the 27th of March. 1857 We've talked many times about online abuse and the online sharing of photos and how you need to be so, so careful about what you put on the internet and the kind of abuse of photos and of your personal material on the internet. And there's a campaign on to make this a criminal offence that if you put someone's picture up on the internet in a way that compromises them and makes them look bad and you do it without their consent, it should be a criminal offence. I'm going to catch up with a major or a, a main campaigner in that Next, 1857-15996. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on the side. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. Adiva's Christmas, taking place online on December 4th, brings you three of Ireland's foremost sopranos as Magella Culler, Kelly Lonergan and Emma Nash, accompanied by Michael Joyce on piano, present a night of festive cheer. It's one of many streamed events taking place as part of Cork Opera House's winter programme. Access all areas. While always a highlight of the festive season, the annual Cork Opera House Christmas concert on December 19th goes online this year. This event has become a favourite feature of the season and this year's event will take a different format as the best in local Cork talent come together to sing a range of festive classics streamed into your homes this Christmas. Further details are available at CorkOperaHouse.ie Access All Areas Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a rescheduled show coming up or any live streaming events by emailing aaa at 96f Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96 FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850 715 996. On Cork's 96 FM. Hey to Audrey in. Germany, listening in uh, in the pub, or is it open or closed, or what is it? But she's saying that uh, she's been staying away since instructed in March. Would desperately love to get home for Christmas, but will have to sacrifice it because she wants to come home in January for a major, some major birthdays. This is what people are dealing with around uh, the, the the province, or around the, the world, I guess, around Europe and around the world. Now let's go to Megan Sims. Megan, good morning to you. Hi, how are you? I'm not too bad. I suppose the best way to to tee this up is by by telling people what what happened to you online. Um, well, a good few years ago in 2016, I had photos and videos shared of me um, across the internet. But the problem is the bullying that comes with this. Mm. So I had 400 plus messages um, calling me all the names as you can probably imagine, telling me to kill myself. Um, How did it and start? That led to a suicide attempt for me. So oh it was a very serious thing. How did it start, Megan? Um, I just got a message saying, look, your photos are being sent around or whatever. And then uh, people are uploading them. They were sent to my friends, my family. Um, I don't know. It was quite serious at the time. And then a few months later, my photos were uploaded onto like a forum. Right. They're quite common. Um, with other girls and 
they were being traded for other photos of other people, um, which is really common, and I've seen a lot of it even yeah. in the last few months. We obviously won't mention the names of any of these photos, oh, no, but, but there are people put pictures into them and they shared them, and it's, it's really, it's, it's, it's nasty. Yeah, they trade them like Pokemon cards, so based on how attractive really the girl is, yeah. or whatever, the more it's worth. So you could get like photos of two girls for one, or but their trade is basically like Pokemon cards. And, and, and would say, these be pictures, Megan, that you'd put sort of harmlessly up on your own social media? Oh no, like these would be photos, say, so photos of people getting changed, so naked photos, um, then obviously nudes that you've taken and sent to people um it's mainly is men uploading them so they'll try and even get as many photos off people as they can and upload them all at once right to use it as um leverage to trade for other photos right and would there be photos i don't want to be too sensitive now but would there be photos that would have been taken of you by with your with your knowledge or without your knowledge it depends of me mm. Yeah, I can't really go into that person okay, because that's okay. Because it's, that's, okay. Um, that's okay. But in general, then there would be pictures. Would they be taken without the person's knowledge? Um, it depends. I've seen everything. I've over. I made a petition a few months ago, and since I've had hundreds of people reach out to me, um, with stories of them getting uploaded. It's been anywhere from fourteen to people in their forties. Wow. It's all. If anything you can imagine, people getting changed, people photos of people taken in through windows, um, pe- videos of people recorded um, without their knowledge having yeah. sex, right. all uploaded onto these websites. Crikey. So it's not a case of you can't even say, look, be careful of what you take when you are, you're none the wiser to it being taken sometimes. That's exactly what I was going with you. Like, that, you know, like Sometimes people take their own pictures for their own reasons, but if these pictures have been taken, like you said, hidden cameras or anything like that, you've no control over that. It should be a criminal offence to do this to somebody, is it? No. There's currently no laws at all in Ireland. Um, Which, obviously, then I have a lot of people reaching out to me and everyone's just lost. There's nothing that can be done. And then there's no cyberbullying laws either. So when this happens to someone, they're just, their whole lives are destroyed, first of all. And then second of all, there's nowhere they can turn to. There's no law. They can't really go to the guards. And then there's no support available at all. Um, We're years behind most other countries in terms of having these laws as well. And honestly, if I could explain to you how much of a serious issue this was, I had six people in one day a few weeks ago had their photos sent out. Yeah, it's a really serious issue. And the problem is the mental health and all of the rest of the impacts that come with this Mm. are very severe. And it affected you really badly. Yeah, I had a suicide attempt and everything because of it and I really, I was, I couldn't face anyone for a long time, to be honest, um, because the shame of it and then you have, it's like being sexually assaulted but publicly and I've said it before. Yeah. It's, well, it's on a grand scale. Well, we talk so much, to- Megan, about consent these days and about having an understanding of what consent is then to do that to anybody, to take a photograph or cause a photograph to be taken without somebody's consent, and then to do all of these things, of course that's a form of assault. 
Well, to be honest, I think that even if the photos were taken yourself and sent to someone, you still don't consent to have them posted on no, the you internet don't. and have no, everyone. So we, no, there's don't. conversations that need to be had around consent and around this as well because young people especially are none the wiser about all of this and then it's such a huge issue in schools and among young people, like a really big issue that I think we need to have education around trying to navigate social media and sex and social media and consent and all the rest because education just isn't available at the minute. And what happens sometimes to with younger people is Megan look and you know it and I know it young people when they're dating they take photographs of themselves for the person they're dating it's it's just the world the digital world in which we now live and sometimes if a relationship doesn't work out or if there's a a breakup or or a row then the other person's phone is full of pictures they can use against you and the problem is, it's um, about 50% of cases in the UK are actually domestic um, violence cases, or there's some sort of domestic abuse. It's a control mechanism used. Yeah. 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 In fact, there was only a case, wasn't there a case in the courts the other day where a guy got jail for coercive control, and, and part of what, he was the first case ever, and part of what he'd done was he threatened to, to put pictures of the victim all over the internet. Yeah, this is the thing. It is used as a control mechanism, generally. Yeah. yeah. How are you now? Did you manage to get? Did you manage to get the stuff that was put up around you taken taken down? Did you? Yeah, most of it. Good. Um, Good. To be honest, I've been working on this myself for the last few months after the petition went viral. Yeah. Um, I've had hundreds of people reach out to me now, mainly girls. Yeah. Um, for support, so I'm okay and I'm in a good place. Good. About it. Good. And you're very brave to be talking out about it like this. You know, you really are. Yeah, I think somebody has to because... You're very, you're, you sound very young. What age are you? I'm 24 now. 24, okay. Well, you, yeah, well, you know what? You're, you're, you're fabulous for doing this and for highlighting it. And certainly, Thanks so much. You know, and, and may you be very successful with it. I know that Mary Crilly in the Sexual Violence Centre uh, takes it very, very seriously and she's been saying, look, there's got to be law about this. It's got to be a crime to do this yeah. to somebody. It has to be. It absolutely has to, and we have to also teach. It is, as she said, it is our sons that are doing this, yeah. um, posting the photos to shame girls. And the majority of cases are girls. Yeah. Um, so we need to have conversations with them around why this isn't okay. Yeah. And the internet culture has to change in general because, honestly, there's hundreds or thousands of these websites. There's hundreds of thousands of videos uploaded every day without yeah. consent. Yeah. It's extremely damaging. Okay. All right. Well, you look after yourself and continue the good work that you're doing. That's Megan Sims, eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. It reminds me of uh, one of these things you fill in in a magazine. I remember filling. I was doing this magazine quiz. You do them during lockdown. You know yourself. And I remember seeing uh, another form filled in. What was the best thing mankind ever invented? The internet. What was the worst thing mankind ever invented? The internet. Yeah, not wrong. As regards people getting home and not getting home for Christmas, just got a text there from a buddy of mine. I asked, he's home at the moment. He has been home for many months and is working from home in a job overseas. I said to him, if you weren't here, would you be coming home? And I just got back, absolutely. Wouldn't miss it.
People are, and Michael Durley's right, people are going to come home anyway, regardless of what Leo says, regardless of what Tony Holohan said. And while you wouldn't endorse it, you can't blame them. That that's That's just the way it is. For people who can't and won't be getting home, we're looking at the run-up to Christmas on the opinion line. We've had some very brief discussions on this in the executive research desk. We're going to do something. We haven't quite put our finger on what just yet. But we're going to do something with people who can't get home uh, in the run-up to the Christmas. So, So bear with us on that one. And if you are overseas and listening to me now on live, on whatever time zone you're in, or on the Rovernight Repeat, or on podcast. And you're not going to be here. And there's no way you can be here. And it's breaking your heart, or you think it's the right thing to do, or whatever. Pop us an email. The best way to get in touch is an email. Opinion at 96fm.ie. We would love your thoughts. And that'll get us working on whatever plans we we, we put together for the run-up to Christmas. So, opinion at 96fm.ie. Tomorrow is World Diabetes Day. And I watched a little video this morning. Unless diabetes is in your life, you kind of know what it is, but you don't really. You don't. Because you don't have to. And I watched a video this morning on diabetes, which told me more in about three and a half minutes then all the textbooks you could read and all the medical leaflets you could read about diabetes. Uh, it was made by a young lad called Dahi and his mom Jennifer joins me on the phone. Jennifer, good morning to you. Good morning, Peter. How are you? Great. Now, I'll talk to, I'll talk to Dahi in a wee while. But it's Oshin has the diabetes. I watched the video this morning. It's only three and a half minutes. It's brilliant. Yeah, it's excellent. It's um Dahi's amazing with technology, so he actually put together a presentation last year for his own fourth class last year. But because Oshin has just started junior infants this year, himself and Oshin worked on it together to make a simpler presentation for Oshin's class. And Oshin is going to show that to his class today with his teacher, so the two of them are amazing. Now, Oshin is what age? He's five now, but he was diagnosed when he was two and a half. Right. And what kind of an effect does it have on his life? And the video says, and very simply, he can have, he can play, he can meet people, he can have sweets, he can eat cake, as long as he follows his his own rules. Has he has he got it fairly? Is it under control? Um, I don't think so. I don't think it can ever really be under control as such. I think it's a case of just playing it by year and going with everything kind of on a daily basis. So, like, you could have two days and you could do everything the exact same and his bloods could be completely different on each day. So I don't think it's ever really fully under control, but we just manage it, I suppose, manage it as best that we can. Um, Things like at the minute, his bloods are a bit all over the place because he's got a wobbly front tooth. So like something as simple as a tooth is affecting it. Yeah, because there's inflammation from from the tooth being nearly ready to fall out. So that's affecting his blood at the minute. So it's everything. It's the weather, it's excitement. His bloods were high going into school this morning because he was excited about giving the presentation. Yeah. Um, so the, it's everything affects it, but it's just a case of managing it as best you can, and you'll have good days and bad days with it. Um, I mean, it's it's difficult, but I suppose he's got a he, pump though, which makes that must make life a little easier. Yeah, it makes a huge difference. I mean, the in, insulin pump means that we can give him, I suppose, more food that 
if we can give the insulin forwards before when he was diagnosed first, he was on five injections a day mm. and he'd have to wait maybe three hours between meals. So if, for, for a three-year-old coming looking for a snack, yeah. we were giving him ham and cheese because they don't have carbs in them. Whereas if he wanted a slice of toast, you'd be trying to t- tell him that he'd have to wait for three hours until he could have uh. a slice of toast. And how does, how does the pump work then? It's, it's basically an insulin pump that's so continually giving him a, a kind of a trickle of insulin. And then for meals, you just give whatever carbs he's having, you key it into the pump and the pump can calculates how much insulin he gets. Nice. So it makes life a lot easier for us and for him. Indeed. I love the description in the video of it means that diabetes means that his pancreas is broken and yeah. doesn't make insulin. That's brilliant. That's such a lovely description. It is, and I suppose it's very simple as well to explain it to the smaller kids. I mean, and, and, and in essence, that's exactly what it is. I mean, I suppose there's a misconception sometimes that it's to do with diet or lifestyle, and it's not. It's just an autoimmune disease that Oshin was born with, and for whatever reason, it got triggered. Yeah. And it just means that basically his pancreas is broken. He, he tells us himself that he has a smashed up pancreas. <laughs> so, <laughs> Do you know, isn't it wonderful the way kids will put, put their own spin on things? Yeah, and I mean, Oshina, Oshina's fantastic. He's great for explaining what his pump is and what his dicks come on his arm is for his sensor. Fantastic. Um, yeah, he's put, amazing. Put me on to Dahi. I think he's out of class to, to, to take our call. He is, and he's very happy because he got out of doing his his test on Friday for it. So he's ah, uh, you're kidding! Happy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Hi. Hiya, Dahi. You got out of a test to be with me on the radio. Yeah. Well done. Listen, it's brilliant video. How much Thanks. How much work did you put into it? How How did you go about doing it? Um. Well, I was working on it for a cup for maybe like three months. The the original one. But then the second one, it took a bit less because I used the same presentation, but I just changed it to make it more simple for Sheen's class. Right. Now, you're just 11 and you're making these presentations, so it's a hobby of yours, is it? Yeah. Yeah. So what did you have to do to put a presentation like that together? Um, well, I first, I just went into PowerPoint and then I just picked like blank presentation and then I just come up with a design, put that in, and I can just start typing and all that. Yeah. I love the way when you're watching it, when you finish with a page, it's like someone crumpling up the page. That's just a, vid- yeah. a visual effect. And tell me, you're going in to make the presentation now to, to Oshin's class, is that right? Um, well, I can't go into his class because of COVID. Of course. Well, so Oshin's going to be, so Oshin's teacher is going to be presenting it instead. I see. Yeah, I forgot that. Of course, you can't go into his class. That's that's a bit that's a bit sad, isn't it? You'd like to be able to go in. Yeah. Yeah. And do you sometimes have to help Oshin with the diabetes? Do you have to know a bit about it too? Um. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I I do his checks with him and stuff like that. Right. What kind of checks would he have to do? Um, he has to do blood sugar checks, so what he has to do is he just has to get this small thing that uh, that sort of just he puts on his finger and then he taps the button that just pierces his skin a small bit. Right. Then you, do, you just put the blood onto a strip, okay. and then that strip is connected to um, this sort of device that looks a small bit like a phone, and then it will tell you what his blood sugars are. Right. And would you know what to do if his blood sugars got too low or too high? Um. Yeah, I would. Like a low is a hypo, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and what would you do then if you got a hypo? 
Um, well, normally you give him a bit of glucose juice, which is just like, it's just water, but it has the, um, just a lot of sugar in it and stuff like okay. that. That'd, and, that'd bring him around a bit, would it? Yeah, and if he's too high, then you give him a bit of insulin from the pump. Right. Well, you know what? You're a fantastic brother. You really are, and well, and the the video. I, I said it before. I, before I was uh, talking to your mom, I, I learned more about diabetes in that couple of minutes watching your video than I ever knew before. That's great work. Well done, you. Thanks. Be very proud of it, and and uh, say say hello to to Oisin and the rest of the family for me. Put back on to your mom for a second. Okay. Hi, PJ. Uh, be very proud of that young man. He is. He's, he's amazing. That he's a great. He's a great boy, and he's a great big brother. It's fantastic. All right. Listen. Look after. Look after everybody there, Jennifer, uh, Oshin, and Dahi, and the rest of the family. And uh, he got out of a test to be with us this morning. See, that's the great thing. The power of the opinion. I, we can get tests and all cancelled for you <laughs> on WhatsApp. Well done, Dahi. What a fantastic boy. It is, and maybe Terry, we could maybe share the video on Twitter because it's lovely to watch. It really is lovely. It really is lovely. Listening to highlights from the opinion line on Cork's 96 FM. To hear the full show, download the podcast from iTunes or see 96FM.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96 FM. Listening in to win from Monday morning uh, with Casey and Ross in the morning and throughout the day, the 10K toy giveaway. Explain a little bit more about it before we finish up for the weekend. 1850-715-996 is the number. The text to WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. Twitter at opinionline96. And of course, Facebook. Facebook page. The Cork's 96fm Facebook page. Mark your messages for the attention of the Opinion Line. Please, because we get to them faster. And if you're one of these people who listens to us overseas and we know there are hundreds of you if not thousands that download our podcast every week or that listen to us on any one of our different versions of the show be it the overnight repeat that runs between 3 and 5 a.m. in this part of the world which is probably mid-morning in other parts of the world and late night in the States and then we've got the podcast which runs it's usually available to you around 2 o'clock in the afternoon and you can download it wherever you are in the world if you won't be home if you can't get home for Christmas and you'd like us to give a message to the people at home or maybe just get in contact with them through us then you know opinion at 96men.ie is the best way to do it now Terry was telling me there during the news he was on the phone to Mary um, and that she's very upset hi Mary and uh, she likes listening to the show because it's a little bit of company for her and that's our job Mary and uh, we're, we'll be here to keep your company as much as we possibly can but she's listening at home and she's terrified to go out she hasn't been able to see her grandchildren due to lockdown her daughter works in a school so she can't see them because there's so many children in the school there's so many people out there like this who feel completely alone in all of this and you're right you're right Mary and we do feel for them and, you know, we've talked about lockdown and whether it's the right thing to do or there's the wrong thing to do, but we're doing what we're told. Um, but for some of us, it's easier than others. And for Mary, it's very hard at the moment. And uh, we are kind of the radio, kind of one of our only bits of company. And, and we'll be here as long as you need, as you need us, Mary. 
Naomi says, I'm living in Cork, but my elderly parents and relations live in Belfast. Even if I'm allowed to travel, I won't. The thought of me or my teenager infecting them isn't just worth it. We'll see them again and maybe have our own Christmas then. But till then, we'll keep using Zoom. 1850 715 And on toys, oh, Noreen's one here. Daughter, husband and three children are in Spain. Uh, the twins were knocked down in a traffic accident. Normally, she goes over there a few times a year to help out as there's lots of problems, especially with the little one. But we have to live by the rules because we can't have this pandemic flare up again. And that's just the way it is. And on the subject of toys, uh, is he for real? This is talking about Dahi from the World of Wonder toy shops. Is he for real? I can't believe I'm hearing this. I've never had more stress-free toy shopping this time of year. Click and collect is fantastic. No squeezing through packed toy shops. Click and collect, pay for it online, no queuing, just show up at your designated time. Also, I'm still wearing my summer clothes. Last year's winter clothes don't fit me anymore, but I can't buy clothes. So you're just wearing more of your summer clothes. 1850-715-996 had a long call about the government's response to COVID-19, which I'll try to bring to you before the end of the show. Certainly will. But, you know, we get queries in about all sorts of things to do with COVID-19. And we're happy to, when it's a query that you can't answer for yourself or you feel a bit at a loss to think, you know, we'll do our best. We can't solve everything, but we'll do our best. And we got a, a note that said, PJ, my brother needs home care. He's in his late 70s. And I was astonished to discover from a third party that one of the people providing care to him now has COVID-19. And he was never contacted to tell him this. I don't know now whether my brother should try and get a test for COVID. That's the gist of the letter. We don't want to identify who wrote it, obviously. What we'd say ourselves would be contact the GP, get their advice. The HSE will test anybody that it thinks is close contact. And that's often a decision that you would not, might not agree with but they'll decide who the close contacts are. It's based on a set of public health guidelines. And there are far more guidelines in there than we see on our side. And the GP will evaluate everything. So that's the advice you'd give directly. But what is the setup for healthcare professionals who go into people's homes? Um, Because obviously this person is very worried now that her brother may have contracted covid from one of his carers, inadvertently, of course, inadvertently. Joseph Busgrave is from Home and Community Care Ireland. And Joseph, I know that you don't want to address any individual cases, which I, which I fully appreciate, but just on a general, on a general uh, platform, someone with a concern like this, what should they do? Good Hi, morning to you. It's good to be with you. Good morning. I think your advice is pretty sensible. You know, um, I'll zoom in in a minute, but let me address the the, the 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 question. So, it is the determination of public health when a healthcare worker or a client tests positive for COVID nineteen or is suspected of coming into contact with someone with COVID nineteen. It's their determination who is a close contact, 
and that will be you know determined by the length of time someone may have been in contact with a person etc so there's there's a couple of complex things go, that go into it mm-hmm. but the contact tracing system you know it will get to you um we had that one blip what around a month ago with a contact tracing system couldn't keep up um with what was happening but that seems to be behind us so the best thing to do is as worrying as it can be is you have to trust the public health advice that's you know as you said we have got to some extent do what we're told here but i think contacting your gp is as a, as a second you know a second route whilst you're waiting to see if you're going to get contacted and usually you would be contacted within three days if you're a close contact yeah so if you haven't heard you know after a week you know don't go fretting you know they've determined you're not a close contact mm. but if you know, if in, in that first three days, I would contact your GP and, and wait to see if you're contacted. And if you haven't been, you know, yeah. I, I would put, put, put your mind at rest. But I want to just zoom out for a second, PJ. Just let, let's look at home care. So our, you know, HCCR, we represent most of the private providers in the country, providing care to 20,000 people with 10,000 carers. Now, right now, the chance of a carer, we have around 3% of our carers are self-isolating. Who may have contact come in contact with the virus? Right, that's a really low, really really low, low number. The number of clients out of the twenty thousand is sixty four who have tested positive for the virus. That's a, that's a positivity rate zero point three two percent. Wow! Right, and we've only ever had one outbreak in home care, which was in the southeast in this entirety of the pandemic, to my knowledge. And to what do you put that down? Because that is a huge level of success in keeping the virus out and keeping people safe. It is. And that's what I... So that's, I guess, my message of reassurance to people. The chances in home care is astonishingly low. And I think that there's a number of things that have gone into it. Number one is, frankly, the diligence of carers. And I've heard some astonishing stories, uh, particularly in the first lockdown. I I came across a carer. I met her. um, She works in Dublin. And in the first couple of weeks of the lockdown, the first one, she didn't take any public transport, even though she could as a as a healthcare worker. And she walked 150 kilometres in a week to get to her clients in order to reduce the contacts that she may or may not have. Yeah. I mean, that's astonishing. Yeah. Um, providers have rolled out in combination with the, the relationship between the, the HSE and home care providers is very strong. They talk a lot and we've rolled out all sorts of infection prevention and control training so that carers know what to do. And, and that basically goes into a couple of different buckets. There's the PPE bucket. So that is introducing enhanced measures like the face masks, like the hand washing, sometimes mm. hand sanitizing gels, as well as depending on the nature of home care, you know, if someone needs help with toileting or whatever, um, your disposable gloves and aprons would yeah. be used. Because a lot of it might be, particularly with the elderly, I guess, Joseph, or people with particular physical needs, like a lot of it would be very hands-on. Some of it can really, some of it can be very hands-on. And, and that's where that sort of the face mask comes into it. So you are going to get into close contact with that person. That's where the face mask and that's where the hand hygiene comes into effect because those are the two main transmission points, right? Is, you know, your droplets go to somebody else or you touch your eyes or your nose or something having contacted someone who's, who's had COVID. So there's the PPE stuff and then there's the social distancing, the hand hygiene and, you, you know, that sort of good practice. And HSE told me in a meeting I had with the Department of Health and the HSE last week that they were really impressed by the high levels of 
um, IPCs, the, the healthcare jargon, uh, the IPC uh, adherence within the home care sector. This is information for in, in infection protection and prevention and, and, and control. control exactly. yeah, yeah. And that's where you know, we were we were swapping statistics here in, in that meeting and saying, look, we're we're still seeing really no low numbers amongst clients, really no low numbers amongst carers, um, which is good. But I mean, every case, I don't want to diminish, of course those who are testing positive. Well, you can appreciate still, that the person who wrote this letter, these are nervous times. Yeah, they are. They are. And um, that's why I want to send out one reassurance. I think I think carers have really stepped up to the plate here. Um, I think providers have really stepped up to the plate. And I think the things to watch for are a couple different things. So you have to be careful if you're employing someone independently yourself to care for a loved one. Just be really careful about what sort of training have they had? Do they currently work for a home care company or another healthcare company where they've received this training or had they not? That's really important to determine because, you know, you may need to make sure that person reads up on all the current guidance because there's a lot of it, PJ. Yeah. Um, and so I would, I, would, I would have a note of caution around that. And I think the second thing, and we haven't seen a lot of this, but we do see some of it where, you know, family members, I think most families are very responsible. But just make sure if you are doing a compassionate visit to an elderly relative, just make sure you're following the same sort of guidance as the care has to. Wear the face mask, keep the distance, wash your hands when you enter the home, wash your hands regularly at the home. These sorts of things are the best thing you can do in order to slow the spread of the virus and stop it going to somebody. Yeah. And if someone like, for example, this letter writer to us now, which is a a specific case, but very generalised. If they have concerns, what should be their first call? Yeah. So, so let me. I'll answer the question directly. But I'll tell you how it works. Um, so, if a care or a client is suspected of testing positive, the first call that the home care provider makes is to the HSE, and it says, "Look, particularly as the case of a client, we think the client has tested positive or is suspected." The HSE take over at that point. The HSE ter- determine what care is provided for what length of time. You know, some clients can go without care for a small period of time because they're not that high dependency and some cannot, often many cannot. If they cannot, then the HSE provide full PPE, which is the full, the full suit with the full face coverings and, yeah. and the whole shebang. Now, once that happens, alongside providing the full PPE, the HSE and the public health system goes into gear and they do the contact tracing, you know, which carers have come into contact with that client, which family members have done so. Now, we have in the past, I think to this concern, what we've found in, in, um, in recent weeks and months is the contact tracing system is slow and home care providers are not authorized, right, to contact you. In most cases, they're not allowed to. So if they haven't done so, it's not because they don't want to. Because, because they're, they're not, they're not allowed. meant to. And it's exactly. the HSE will do it following public, exactly. care, public health now, care guidelines. Precisely, PJ. But what's been happening, because of how slow the contact tracing system has been, lo- at local level, the HSE and public health have, you know, they've seen, they've copped on, they've seen common sense. And often they've said to the provider, particularly if a care has tested positive, so if a care is suspected of, of, of having COVID or testing positive, it's the home care company itself that manages that. They make sure that person is put on rapid testing, which happens very quickly. If that test comes back negative, they're allowed, according to the guidelines, to go back to work 
and their symptoms are monitored for the next several days to make sure they, you know, right. they're not going to get the virus. If they do test positive, and again, it's rapid testing that healthcare workers have access to, then that's where that whole system I told you kicks into gear. But often what's happening is the public health authorities and HSE are giving the green light for the home care provider to reach out to families and okay. say, look, you may have, but again, that doesn't happen in every case, yeah. but it does happen in some cases. There's a process, and it's a very rigid process, and you're, you're, the call the call will come to you in the course of the process. Joseph, I'm going to leave it there for no reason other than time, uh, because you've, you've given us a lot of reassurance. The statistics of infection and, and people affect are very low, and, and that's that's to be very much uh, celebrated, I think, and congratulated and, and, and to you and, and your sector for, for succeeding. In that regard, Joseph Musgrave from Home and Community Care Ireland. Thank you very much for that. And to our original letter writer and anybody uh, connected with someone who's receiving home care, there is a process. It's detailed process and it's a process that has to be followed rigidly. So stick with the process because for them, it seems to be working. The numbers of infections in that sector are very low. 1850-715-996. Now, Susan has contacted us from the UK because she's got something to say about travelling home for Christmas. Susan, will you hold on till I clear an ad break? Will you do that for me? No problem. All right, thank you very much. It's really hard to describe the show. It's a bit of crack. It's a bit of a laugh on a Saturday. Yeah, that's what, that's it. Four hours straight, no stop, no break. There's lots of showbiz news. Mm-hmm. Um, we kind of just laugh at celebrities doing stupid things. <laughs> Lorraine and Demi. Lorraine and Demi. Live. Live. Why would a person want to listen to our show? Because I'm here. I mean, why would a person want to listen don't, to our show? Don't do that. <laughs> Lorraine and Demi. Live. Saturdays, 2 to 6 p.m. On the best music made. Corks, 96 FM. This is Corks. Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 On Corks 96 FM. Now, Susan, I think you've decided, thanks for holding for me, I think you've decided there'll be no trip this year. Absolutely. It's just the right thing to do this yeah. year, the one off. You're based in the UK? I'm, yeah, I'm in Kent in the UK, yeah. And, and I've got my daughter's in Waterford, so... Um, w- would she go to you or would you come to her normally? Um, well, we were hoping that she'd come home, you know, come home for Christmas, but um, it's, it, this is just a unique situation and we just have to adapt to it. We've got to be um, responsible for each other as well as ourselves, so she's staying in Ireland this year. She, uh, she could, couldn't she? Correct me if I'm wrong here now. She could travel from here to there without any quarantine restrictions, couldn't she? She absolutely could, but then her return to Ireland would require her to have quarantine, and then she would also feel responsible uh, for risking the people that she works with. So um, it's just not a, um, a consideration that she's, you know, that we are even thinking of, to be honest with you. Yeah, because you've got a pretty serious situation over there at the moment. Now, you're back in lockdown like, like we are, Absolutely. But the, the, uh, the, the numbers are going in the, the numbers are still going in the wrong direction, aren't they? They're, they're crazy. There was over thirty-three thousand new cases in the UK yesterday. Over thirty-three thousand. It's just unbelievable. Um, you know, that's in one day. That's half of the total number of cases in Ireland from the start of the pandemic. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, those numbers 
clearly mean you just can't take risks. You've got to take it seriously. It's, it's one year, you know, hopefully it'll, with, with the new vaccine, this will be controlled. But this is just one year. We've got to just be selfless and look after each other. Yeah. Your folks were, were Irish, weren't they? And they used to come home every year. But actually, they, they took a year off in 2001 for a foot and mouth outbreak. That's right, yeah. My mum was from West Cork and my dad was from Carlo. Uh, family all over Ireland, obviously. And they would always come home to Ireland every year. Um, but with a foot and mouth um, outbreak um, and being farmers, they just didn't want to be associated with any risk. If there was an outbreak, you know, they could have been, well, you know, they come over from the UK, they could have brought it with them. So just to preserve the family and obviously their income and their heritage, they, it was one year they said, no, we're just not going to do it this year. Yeah. And you're thinking, I guess, good sense, painful and all as it won't be to have your daughter there with you for Christmas. This is the right thing to do. This is it's, it's common sense. And what you said earlier, PJ, about um, the internet being the best and the worst invention. You know, thank goodness this year for technology. I've said it so many times. You know, I haven't seen Kitty now since the summer. And just to be able to, not physically, but talk to her every day, see her face every day. Yeah. Um, that was, that's enough reassurance for now, you know? Yeah. And I know you used the show here to keep in touch with home, which is great. Yeah, <laughs> it All makes right. me feel a bit closer. All right, listen. And, and I hope that when it comes, you, you'll have the happiest Christmas you possibly can under the circumstances. Susan, thank you. Thank you, PJ. Cheers, Bye-bye. and indeed to Kitty as well, her daughter, who lives in Waterford, 1850-715-996. Gillian is in Greece. Uh, it's shocking for anyone that wants to travel back to spend Christmas with their families to be told now, don't travel. I've cancelled three trips so far, and it's not nice uh, living here in Greece and can't get home. I feel sorry for anyone living abroad that has elderly parents back in Ireland and hasn't been able to travel to see them. Hopefully things will get better stay safe. And Greece, bear in mind, lads, was flying. Greece was, was on a winner. And Frankie, the DJ who was on me before a few months ago, was saying, like, Greece was flying out there. Now Greece went back in lockdown a couple of weeks ago. So even the places that were flying first time out are back in lockdown on the second wave. Thanks, Gillian, for that message. Listening to us in Greece. And then Robert is listening in New York. Good morning. What is it? Half past, half past six there? in New York so maybe we're his maybe we're his breakfast show hi Robert uh, he's been listening there uh, he's been in New York for the last 26 years his last Christmas at home in Middleton was 1994 hospital worker so getting a week off over Christmas is out of the question here I'd love to be able to get home but that's life and Robert says there's a lot of self-indulgent whining on the airwaves today 1850-715-996. Cork's 96FM has identified many advantages to wearing a face mask. Unexpected spot or pimple? No problem, you're covered. Lip sync to your favourite songs without anyone ever noticing. And say goodbye to chapped lips caused by cold winter winds. However, the main reason for wearing a face mask is the most vital to help stop the spread of coronavirus. Wear a mask. Wash your hands. Social distance. We're masking for a friend. Thank you. From Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. 
The live performance and entertainment sector has taken a huge kicking throughout the, 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 the pandemic. There hasn't been a show for months. Until now, there's some shows coming back. The Everyman is doing audio streamed shows. The Opera House is doing fully streamed audio and video shows. And there's one of those coming up this very weekend. Can only that voice can only belong to Karen Underwood. <laughs> how are you, sweetheart? Hey, PJ, how you doing, babe? Thanks, Mister Kid. I haven't seen you in months. I know this pandemic. I mean, I mean, where would we be? Yeah, yeah. This you is know? called Lilith. This show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lilith. Uh, Lilith is just uh, an amazing uh, show that has come to me, and it's actually. Uh, what we would call a song cycle. So it tells the story of Lilith, who was Adam's first wife in old Judaic writings. You would see Lilith if you visit Rome, if you go to the Vatican City and you go to the museum and you look up at the Sistine Chapel, she's offering Eve something. She's in the form of a sir, S-E-R. Yeah, I went to see it last year after John and Aideen wrote this wonderful, wonderful song cycle. I had to go and see it. Yeah, it's it, it's an incredible concept. John's on the other line. Hi, John. Hi, PJ. Good to talk to you. How and you to you, sir. This Hi, is a, John. so. So, so the concept here. This is this is before Adam and Eve. There was Adam and Lilith. Well, it, it, like the whole idea came from this. Um, the, the, in in the mythology, there's two different versions in Genesis of, um, you know, first of all, that God created man and woman, and equally created them, and you know, He created them from from clay. And then there's in the next space there's and then you know taking the rib and making Eve. So the Jewish mystics were asking, well, what happened to the first woman? Who is that? So she became all of the things that were seen as being bad in in womankind, like like um, you know, have, um, being sexually liberated and being equal and like working a job and you know doing all the kind of things. So um, it was it was Adine O'Donoghue's um, idea that we um, write a piece for Karen and that that's would explore all this. Because, yeah. so Karen, you can identify with all those values, can't you? Tell me about it, PJ. I mean, like, <laughs> I, it took me a while for it to register that I understand what it's like to leave where you're from and to live your own sexual freedom, yeah. to uh, be demonized for doing so, to be in exile, but to be at home, but home is not home. Yeah. I, I listened to some of the, the songs that you were kind enough to send me uh, some of the songs on Dropbox and the lyrics are brilliant and it's, it's, it looks like a hell of a show, guys. So, it's, it's on stage at the Opera House and we'll be able to see it on the television. That's right. Exactly, yeah, yeah. So, the, the, it, was, it was amazing. Like, it was with eight cameras and, you know, um, it was so cool to actually just play live again with Karen and play with, with Fionn and Dave on, on, on the drums and bass, you know, to actually play a new gig. Like mm-hmm. the, the, the initial idea for this was that we were supposed to be doing a tour to, to launch the new album of this. So it's going live now on, on Bandcamp on, on the Saturday night. Right. Um, and so the idea was that we would be doing a tour to kind of launch the album, and that all obviously fell completely apart. So, um, so it's great to actually be able to do a live gig to play the music and to launch an album. And so you've recorded it, have you? Yeah, so we, 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 we recorded it last year at the um, 
at the Midsummer Festival. So um, we did kind of three performances and we recorded the three and then we kind of cut together an album from the, so it's a live album. Right. And then the plan was always to kind of then tour this part of the, this time of the year and um, so we've kind of reconfigured that and so the album is, is finished and is ready to go and um, will be launched on, on Saturday and then the, to, to, along with the show. And is the live. show live or has the show been recorded? Um, we, we had to record so um, because of the fact that there's so many cameras and COVID protections and all of those kind of things, it was too complicated. The original plan was to try and do it as a live thing, but it was just too complicated to make it work. Um, mm. So we recorded it actually last Sunday in the right. Opera House. Right. Um, but you know, Peter, like the beauty of it all is that it would not have been possible without donations, you know, to our, our fundraiser, uh, Bandcamp, uh, without Egan's, believe it or not. I went in, I had a hearing Yeah, problem, Egan's were great, hear. yeah. And uh, they met me and they fitted me with my hearing aid because I'm deaf in my right ear. Right. And um, because of people, you know, people who were philanthropic and for their donations, we wouldn't be able to do this. Normally we would have so many gigs and we'd be able to pay for our own way. But, I mean, they really stepped up to the plate and became really good uh, donators to our, our cause, which is Lilith. And to get that word about this woman's story who has been vilified throughout history as, you know, the woman who caused abortion or miscarriages. She's responsible for everything bad yeah. because she chose her life, her to be independent. We've tweeted a photograph, actually, of you uh, in, in full flight. Uh, and it looks great. And to see the show, you go to Dice FM, uh, Dice FM, and there's a link, or you can go to the Opera House website. Yeah, you can go through the Opera House website. And they'll bring you to the link. And it's only a fiver. It's only a fiver, yeah. And you get a link sent to you then, isn't that right? Yeah, yeah and, that's and, right. And, and you please have to watch support it live the Opera House. Time. I mean, yeah. these people have not had work for seven months, you know. And, you know, we just have to, people talk about looking after their own. Well, now just t put your money where your mouth is. Yeah, well, I've already bought my ticket for the Christmas concert. I'm so looking forward to that, <laughs> uh, which is going to be on TV. And you know what? I might just catch up with Lilith as well, because it sounds like a great show. Uh, John, I'm going to leave you go at this stage. Best of luck. Great to hear from you again. And keep up the fantastic work. Karen, stay with me for another minute, with, will you? Because I know that you were particularly upset on Facebook last evening yeah. by some spray painting work. Yeah. Uh, yep. Work now is a very loose term. Yep. Up around near where Irby's buried. Well, at his at the cemetery where Irby is buried at Saint, in St. John's, yeah, someone decided to make their, um, you know, ideas known in terms of it was like COVID nineteen um, is Bill Gates uh, criminal, uh, this kind of thing, and it's all fine if people have their ideas and some of us believe that bill gates is the worst person in the world and he's responsible for COVID and blah 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 and that's all fine but when you defile a cemetery um you're actually making your cause uh, a negative thing you know these are people who have passed away we we're going to see our loved ones and you know they're spray painting up the, the walls you know now i've got a message this morning that it has been removed since since this this yeah. morning, I, I think this is a serial offender, though, because when I went looking into it last night, there's been a few more places where this person has struck as well. Yeah, well, I hate to even give them much airtime or attention because, you know, obviously as someone who doesn't understand, um, the best life you can live is to put other people first, you know, and as somebody who is very, very, has strong beliefs in, in this whole anti-vax Bill Gates um, thing, and I, I totally respect that and understand. And some, and some parts I've, I can understand why they feel the way they do, but you don't have to defile cemeteries. You know, yeah. the COVID signs is one thing, but when you go to people's places of rest, you just, you know, okay. I don't know.
it's right. a bit, it was very, I was very hurt and I was very upset yeah. and I was angry yesterday and I didn't know what to do and I threw it up on Facebook because I was going to go try to scrape it down myself and thanks to everybody who offered to come and help but it has been sorted. All right, I'm delighted to hear that. Look after yourself and hopefully we'll see each other soon. That's Karen Underwood and good luck with Liz to yourself and to John O'Brien. It's a live stream performance from the Opera House which was recorded last weekend. Uh, go on to the Opera House website You'll, you'll see the, all the links are there. In fact, it's very well organised, the, the website. Click on the link. It'll bring you to a thing called Dice FM. It'll cost you a fiver, and then they'll send you a link to watch it. 1850-715-996. Coming up, uh, The Crown. Season 4 of The Crown drops on Sunday. And I've had an opportunity to talk to one of the stars. Do you think you'd have liked to be a member of the royal family? No, 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 absolutely not. What a nightmare. I wake up every morning. Get even more of Casey and Ross in the morning on the Highlight Show. Your chance to catch up and listen again. Saturday between 9 and 10 a.m. Everything is just right. On Cork's 96 FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. The Crown has had three huge seasons. Uh, the fourth one is about to drop. There's a fifth one written and they're talking about a sixth. The Crown is the story of the British royal family, of course. It is lavish. Netflix, this is, were you waiting for this? Netflix spends the bones of 5 million euro on every episode. 5 million on every episode of The Crown. Compare that to, say, Downton Abbey. That cost a million an episode. And that had ads in it. And that was only 42 minutes long. So it's 5 million an episode for The Crown. It's a huge production. The next series, which starts on Sunday, or which drops on Sunday... It covers the period 1979 to 1991. So you'll have Charles and I in there, the royal wedding, all the affairs, Thatcher's government. Maggie is actually played by Gillian Anderson of, of The Fall and The X-Files. She's brilliant. She's brilliant in it. And, of course, the, the killing of Lord Mountbatten is in there as well in season four. It all kicks off, drops on Sunday morning on Netflix. I can see a lot of binging going on in houses on Sunday and I got an opportunity earlier this week uh, to chat with Marion Bailey, a star of stage and screen, who plays Elizabeth, the Queen Mother, in season four of The Crown. Marion, the Queen Mother, has a huge role in season four because of the storylines, obviously. She was, right up to the moment she passed away, a very, very popular member of the royal family. And, and I guess as an actor... You're, you must be conscious of, of getting her right. Well, yes, it was quite daunting. <laughs> um, but once I started, I just thought, well, I, I did all, as much homework as I could. I did as much research as I could. And I thought, well, I can only do my best. I'll have a go. Here we go. And um, yes, I, I, once, I, once I was actually playing her, I thought, well, this is my queen mother. Um, I'm not really the queen mother. I can only, you know, pretend to be the queen mother. And uh, I just did my best. And I have to say, I loved playing her. She's such an interesting, complex, um, remarkable person from another era, of course, born in the Edwardian world. Um, and she survived, and a survivor, remarkable survivor. But yes, a great mixture of things, really. In time. She will give up her fight 
and bend, as they all do. And if she doesn't bend, what then? She will break. When we were following her, I guess, in the news and things like that, she always came across as a very sweet, dainty old lady. Far from that. Yes. No, far from that, I think. Um, I mean, there was that. Apparently, she could be very charming and she would make people feel that they were the only person in the room when she was talking to them. But uh, yes, if you displeased her, I've heard she, you didn't, you knew, you knew if she wasn't very pleased with anything you'd done or said. Um, and of course, she had a steely, steely core she had to have, given you know the world as she was. She didn't, didn't, wasn't born to be queen by any means. And suddenly there she was in this extraordinary position, um, having married a shy guy with a stutter. Who, you know, he wasn't destined for the throne. And suddenly, and then the war happened. So, um, and she she took on that burden. I think duty. I don't think she ever questioned her duty. But uh, she'd had, she was tough. Imagine 70 years' experience as queen, of being the head of the family. Bertie was a wonderful husband and father, but he needed a great deal of help as king. And then we lose him, and at precisely the moment when they should be giving me more to do, stop me falling into despair, they take it all away. They take it all away. This particular series, season four, is from a time, I think, that a lot of us remember really well. We remember Charles and Diana. We remember the royal wedding. We remember all the events around that. You're you're also obviously playing a part of a time that you remember well yourself. Yes. All I want is to be loved. It's all any of us want from you. What does one have to do to get some kindness in this family? Do you think that the production has has reflected the 80s like you remember them? Yes, you know, uh, it's an interesting question. I I actually, I think it has. I think um, it certainly deals with the good and the bad um, of the 80s. I I mean, they were interesting times, but times of enormous and sometimes very painful change. one of my favourite episodes, I haven't seen any of it, but just from reading them all, one of my favourite episodes was when uh, the young guy managed to break into Buckingham Palace uh, extraordinarily and ended up in the Queen's bedroom. And um, then it covers with Peter Morgan's, I think, wonderful writing. Uh, it, it imagines his backstory and his world, and that was very much the world of... of uh, society at that time it's Michael um, Fagan, with all yeah. its agonies yeah well, yes exactly so for me you know that's all fascinating um, and yes the backstory the change of, of Diana herself from this very shy um, kindergarten teacher who looking up under her fringe to this blonde icon <laughs> you know uh, on the front of magazines with a glowing skin and blue eyes and covered in diamonds and that story itself is remarkable, isn't it? And the Queen Mother was the matchmaker. Now, we might have forgotten that, I guess, as time... But she was kind of the matchmaker between Charles and I. You might say it wasn't her most successful day's work. No, <laughs> you could say that. And, of course, uh, Diana, Lady Diana Femoy was her lady-in-waiting and great confidant and friend who was Diana's, I think, it's a long time ago, I think it was her grandmother. That's right, it was. It was her mother's mother. Um... And 
Yes, it wasn't her greatest day's work. But of course, at the time, it would have seemed like the perfect choice, wouldn't it? This shy, young, malleable girl who was in love with her prince. Yeah. Um, from the Queen Mother's point of view, what could possibly go wrong? And of course, the fact that he was in love with someone else who, you know, again, in our story, the Queen Mother was very instrumental in stopping him being with the woman he originally loved. Mm. Um, you know, from her point of view, that wasn't done, I suppose, out of any vicious intent. And again, I'm talking about our version of the sure, story here, sure. which is a drama after all. Uh, it was done for the good of the country and she sort of thought well you know he can have affairs with whoever he likes it doesn't matter it's marriage is about something else marriage du is about duty. family bloodline duty yes exactly yeah. mm. the other elements of the season of course are the, the Thatcher years and, and the exploration of the the, the, the relationship such as it was between Margaret Thatcher and the Queen Your Majesty I think we have enough respect for one another personally to ask ourselves some of the bigger questions. Woman to woman. We are the same age after all, really. Just six months between us, eh? And who is the senior? I am. Ma'am. My goal is to change this country from being dependent to self-reliant, and I think in that I am succeeding. Joblessness, recession, crises. It's a dangerous game to make enemies left, right and centre. Not if one is comfortable with having enemies. Are you? Oh, yes. Do you think we learn more from that than we thought we knew? I hope so, yes. I, I, mean, I, I personally think that's a really fascinating relationship. Um, I, I was in a play in the West End actually called Hamburg. I played the Queen. Uh, and it was about, it was a comic exploration of the relationship between Margaret Thatcher and the Queen. Um, it was Michael Shea, was it? Yes, her press secretary that let the cat out of the bag uh, uh, towards the end of uh, Thatcher's career. But we don't really know what went on behind closed doors, but I think it was sort of, there's enough, there, there are enough indications to suggest that they had quite um, a complex relationship and that perhaps the Queen wasn't best pleased by what she might have seen as the dismantling of society and the post-war consensus and all that stuff, you know. Yeah. The series opens with the murder of Mountbatten by, by the IRA. The Crown yeah. is very popular yeah. in Ireland. Do you understand why it is? I mean, it would, it mightn't be on another at another no, time. No, I, I, I don't know. That's interesting. Um, no, I don't know. <laughs> it would be I suppose because it is it's not chocolate boxy is it the crown I mean no. I think it it, does, it, it doesn't um, it's warm and empathetic but it also shows the warts and it shows the failings and it shows I, I suppose it's popular with people around the world for all sorts of reasons to do with family into from you know the dynamics and families but um Yes, that, it, it is interesting that... Uh, what do you think? I think we're seeing them as human. I think we're seeing humanity. And we're, think, we're seeing a very dysfunctional kind of family. And one that yes. actually, you know what, it's, yeah. not, it's not the ogre it was painted, painted to be. My no. final question to you, Mary, before I let you go, and thank you for your time, is 
Do you think you'd have liked to be a member of the royal family, having focused on it so much to play the part? Oh, no, 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 absolutely not. What a nightmare. No, <laughs> I admire them all. Well, not all, but, you know. <laughs> so it's not a job you'd like for real, then? No, no, and I so, I, I do, I have to say, having never much thought of it before I took on the role, I, I, I so admire the Queen for having stuck with it, and she certainly made a sturdy start. Well, Marion Bailey, thank you for your time today and thank you for being with us on The Opinion Line. And here's to the success of The Crown Season 4. Thank you. Nice to talk to you. Available to you on Netflix on uh, Sunday, Season 4. I must get Season 3 finished this weekend. A couple of episodes left. Before we go, Rory says, PJ, I lived abroad for four years. I had my Christmas flights home booked before I even moved. That Christmas, the weather was dreadful. I went to the airport three days in a row to have my flight cancelled. I was devastated. I spent Christmas Day alone in my apartment watching friends and drinking bottles of Guinness. Uh, It was a once-off, though, and I got over it. This is a once-off, too. People need to just realise that it's tough, but Leo isn't trying to keep expats away for the crack. And another call says, My sister-in-law died in London presumably during the COVID, only her granddaughter and her grandson and her daughter-in-law were able to attend the funeral. Her ashes are still in London and the rest of the family could not attend. This happened in April and we've not got her ashes yet to have a proper funeral. The people who died of COVID-19 had horrible deaths and horrible funerals and I'm here listening to people talking about not coming home for Christmas risking kicking this off again. Before I let you go, something else that's on the television, I think the first episode, I got a screener of it, but I think the first episode of The Good Doctor season four uh, has now come out uh, on this side of the world. That's the Freddie Highmore show that I've been going on about for years here. It's just phenomenal how good it is. The first two episodes of season four are devoted entirely to the COVID crisis and how it affected hospitals and doctors and patience. And I watched one of them last night. It is stunning. Now, you know me and Freddie Highmore and his performance in that show. I've said it brings me to tears repeatedly. It's so, so good. And his portrayal of autism in an adult is just phenomenal. But season four of The Good Doctor, the first two episodes are, and I think they're done sort of as a, as a, as a hat tip or as a, and as a, an homage, as it were, to the people who, who've been working on the front line for the last few months, it's well worth seeing. Try and catch it over the weekend. And, of course, Netflix has the, the crown and many other... We've we'll, we'll nothing else to do except watch the telly, so we might as well. That's it. The programme edited by Terry Brennan, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. Have a good weekend. Make the best of it anyway. Wear your mask, wash your hands, and, of course, keep your distance. And we'll see you Monday, just after nine.